Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Locke, Tracks, Pulp Fiction, Tom at the Farm, Fading Gigolo, and more. On Wednesday, June 25th, the Bookshelf presents a reading and discussion of the book Tragedy in the Commons by Michael McMillan with special guest Frank Villoriate. That's all taking place at the E-Bar at 7 p.m. The Bookshelf is an independently owned culture hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Visit bookshelf.ca for more information. Creative Control with Beesh Comic. On this episode, Hamilton Lighthouser of the Walkman, formerly of the Walkman, they kind of went on an extreme breakup. He's on the show to talk about his new solo album, Black Hours, which is great. Nice contemporary kind of pop, sort of Frank Sinatra thing. It's, it's really interesting. And uh, I like it very much. And I enjoyed speaking with Hamilton not so long ago, and I wanted to share our conversation with you. Interesting backstory, interesting for me, yeah, and I don't want to spoil too much, but he grew up in Washington, D.C., so I like a lot of music that came out of Washington, D.C., so we talk about that. And, interesting note, at the end of the interview, I suggest that it would be really cool if Hamilton Lighthouser uh, might get to play in Hamilton, Ontario, and then, like, the other day, it was announced that he's actually going to do it. He's playing the Hamilton Super Crawl in September. And he's touring with Spoon and doing a bunch of stuff. So, anyway, he's a good guy. It was a good chat. Here it is, Hamilton Lighthouser. Oh, and you're going to hear a new song from this album, Black Hours, as well. So, here it is, Hamilton Lighthouser and myself chatting. Hey, this week's episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero. For my money, the best pizza you can eat in Guelph, Ontario. A proud, independent family business run by a punk rocker, Trocadero only uses a rich array of fresh ingredients cut by hand and homemade dough made daily, all baked to perfection inside of a stone oven. It's gourmet panzerotti, calzones, wings, salads, garlic bread, breadsticks... 
And oh man, the pizza. The pizza. Personally, I like the gourmet Domateo with goat cheese, artichoke, roasted red pepper, mushrooms. I sub out the turkey breast for eggplant, but that's just me. Wash the whole thing down with a brio? Man, I am getting hungry just talking about this. Call Pizza Trocadero at 519-829-2444. Visit them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph and online at trocaderoguelph.ca. T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Lighthouser is a very talented singer and songwriter who is best known for fronting the acclaimed New York City band The Walkman. Last year, The Walkman announced they'd be taking an extended hiatus after releasing a string of wonderful albums. Uh, before long, members of the band began releasing solo material, including Lighthouser. His new album is the startling and wondrous Black Hours, a timeless star-studded pop affair that was released on June 3rd via Ribbon Music and it's prompted him to tour across the United States and uh, some of Europe this summer. Here now to discuss this further is the great Hamilton Lighthouser. Uh, Hamilton, how are you? Wow, I'm great. I, uh, hell of an intro, man. <laughs> well, I, I believe everything I said was true. Uh, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Now, where in the world are you right now? I'm in Washington, D.C., actually. I'm playing uh, on this NPR show this morning, so uh, I had to come down for the night. Are you doing a tiny desk? I am. Yep. I, I I got to go to one of those. Uh, my my friend Jim Guthrie was invited to do one of those uh, from Canada here. So we drove straight down to D.C., uh, stayed wow. the night, and then he did a tiny desk, and then we just drove straight home. It was like uh, I don't know, ten, twelve hours. Yeah, that's a pretty quick event too, right? It takes like fifteen minutes. Yeah, <laughs> but that's it's a long way to go for fifteen minutes. Now, have you seen a tiny desk? Have you looked at the other people's? I've played it, but I've played it before actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, I really like the little setup. I think it's cool. It's a great idea. So basically, for people who don't know, uh, bands like yours or people like you, they go and they just play music in an office space around a desk. And I mean, there's no other. Are you doing something special to modify your sound or your show, your your, your songs? You gotta you gotta turn it down a little, you know, because they don't want you blasting out the whole office. So uh, <laughs> that's that's all you do is just try to keep a little limit on the volume. Right. Okay. That that well, that's good. It's good that you're willing to do that. Now, I saw the Walkman in Halifax in October. I think it was last. All right. Yeah. Now. I was just curious. When was it was a great show? I enjoyed the show very much. But what, what was when was your actual last show together? That was one of them. Um, 
That was close. We were very aware that we were going to stop playing at that point. Um, we played one more in Philadelphia and one more in New Orleans after that, and um, that was it. The New Orleans one was the last one. Okay, so I, I, I basically saw you towards the end. What, what did you make of... Do you, do you have any recollection of playing Halifax? Had you played there before? I do. You know why? Because I knocked out a piece of my tooth on the microphone. Oh, no. Again, which is something I, I hadn't done in... Well, I used to sort of do it all the time, and I actually just wrote about it in this, on this website called The Talk House. Nice. But I hadn't done it. <clears throat> I hadn't done it in years. And uh, at that show, I guess we got a little excited, and uh, I bashed with the microphone and knocked out a, the, my left tooth. Now, you were playing the, again. You were playing the Halifax uh, Pop Explosion, which is a festival. So I was there, and then, you know, you have to kind of travel. you got to go, you got to club hop a little bit. Did I, When did this happen? I must have missed this. Uh, it was just during the show at some point. I, I'm not sure. Okay, it wasn't like that. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm pretty good at just sort of keeping it to myself. <laughs> okay, it wasn't, it wasn't like the last thing you did on stage. You, you did it somewhere. No, no, no. Wow. No, it's like, oh, damn, there it is. And then you've got this, like, jagged thing in your mouth. You're like, oh, man, I'm going to have to go back to the desk. It cost me 150 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you made it through. That's a that's good that Halifax sticks in your memory that way. Yep. Yeah. Now, when did you actually begin working on Black Hours? Like, just I'm trying to figure out the chronology. As we say, your last shows were in the fall. Uh, when did you actually begin working on this record? Well, I had been writing it since basically the moment we finished our record Heaven. And that was, the, I'm going to say that was like 2011 or 2012. I, I can't even remember. My, my dates are all kind of funny. But maybe if it was 2012, I was work writing it all that year. And then we recorded it mostly in the summer of 2013, uh, in August of 2013. And we mixed in the fall. And it was finished by January 1st. Okay, so it was never intended to be a Walkman release or, or Walkman songs, per se. No, I mean, at the beginning of the writing process, we hadn't really discussed what we were going to do, and I was just sort of writing songs. And we all live in different cities, so, um, you know, I was just writing, going about my business, writing songs, and didn't know where they were going to go. And they ended up, uh, it, it, we, we talked about not doing it together anymore, and then I had all my songs, and then... I didn't know if I was going to start a new band or what or how I would do it. And I really didn't want to come up with another band name. That's sort of been haunting me for so many years. You just get tired of your band names. So yeah, yeah. I just thought I'd do it under my own name. But the funny thing is, I mean, I, I ended up working with a lot of other people. So it's not, we call it a solo record, but it, it's, you know, I had sort of different bands on it. Right. You you have, a, as I mentioned in my intro, you have, a, it's it, it is very, it is, it is a star-studded affair. It's a great band. I mean, I was really lucky to have those people. I really was. Can you maybe just uh, talk talk about some of the people that you worked with to, to make this record so people know who we're talking about? Well, well, the first person I started with was Paul Maroon from The Walkland. He's a guitar player and a big songwriter. And he and I worked long distance pretty well together. So we had a lot of material, right, by the time The Walkman had decided to not work together. So we just decided we would continue on with all of the work we'd done. It was it would have just been a waste to throw it all away. Right. Uh the next one is is uh Rostam Batmanglish from Vampire Weekend. He 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 called me up out of the blue while I was working away and he heard that I was doing this and asked if I wanted to 
try working together and we tried it out and had a great time and uh and so we wrote songs together and i would say it was like starting a band together kind of i mean he's listed as like the producer on the record and co-songwriter and that's what he did but it's to me it was like you know we it was like a it was like we went into the room with nothing and then we came up with a song right right he's um, a he's a full-on collaborator yeah we're like it's like we're it was like we were a band together right Okay. Uh, which was great, and such so lucky to find someone new that I could really work with. I mean, it's, I, I think I, I can't imagine that ever happening again. I mean, it would be great if it would, but it was, um, it was really lucky. Uh, and then I had, then the guys in the studio, Morgan Henderson from the Fleet Foxes. I uh, we called him because he's just such an incredibly talented guy, and 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 really fun guy to have around, and. To play the upright bass was the original reason, but then he can really play so many things. But we we didn't know how the record was going to sound, so we realized we needed guys like him and guys like Richard Swift, who could just you you who he was called in to do the drums. But I knew that if we needed him to play the piano or the guitar or the or, or you know drums or sing or anything, that they would be able to do it all. Okay, that's... and that was my core band. Right. So, is there no relationship between the conception of these songs and the break the Walkman took? It sounds like it was just kind of happenstance. Um, yeah, there's not really no. I mean, it was. I mean, I sort of always write music, and I had been continuing to do it since we finished our last record because that's just sort of how I fill my time. And and the Walkman not doing it together was more a result of not want of of everybody sort of living in their different cities and deciding that there was didn't seem to be much reason to get together to finish the songs that we've been working on. Okay. It seemed like more of a chore to get everybody together than it it just didn't seem worth it at the time. So the songs on Black Hours just as easily could have been the next Walkman record. I think at the beginning, yeah, I think at the beginning a lot of the songs were written with the I mean I I didn't know yeah, I didn't have any other idea for them at the beginning. Right. Okay. The record has this warm, fairly, like, it's got a pleasing flow to it, yet there's this unsettling undercurrent to it as well. There seems to be, there seems to be fighting. There seems to be uh, discussion of interpersonal tension. What does this batch of songs reflect about you and, and where you were at? You mean lyrically? Oh, I, I, well, lyrically and tonally. I feel like even the arrangements have... Uh, that that kind of tension between, I don't know, contemporary and uh, timelessness. Like contemporary, like it, it feels very of the time, but it also feels uh, like it could be from any era almost. Well, good. That's sort of exactly what I was shooting for. I mean, I a lot. Of, the first two songs are very much inspired by like Gordon Jenkins' arrangements on Frank Sinatra records. Okay. And when I was you know writing like the strings in 5 a.m. And the vocals, I wrote them, wrote them simultaneously over a guitar part that Paul had. And oh. the, the strings and the vocals, I didn't have any idea if we were going to put drums on it or we were going to put band on it or, or if it was just going to be a quiet song the whole way through. And you start adding the strings and adding the vocals, and they're just written in a, in a very different way where, I mean, over the years we've always done like bass and drums first, and it was a driving force, and I sang on top of it. And this time it was like I'm gonna sing, and I'm gonna let the song develop with just the singing and the strings, and then maybe the band will come in at the end as sort of a just just to reinforce what, what's already there. 
Right. So okay. For me, it was like a tie. It was like a complete reversal of, of how the how songs are written. So that's how those first two songs came. Then, like Alexander was put third because that was very unexpected. Like me working with Rossman was something I didn't, you know, I didn't know was going to happen at all. So we put the I put that third because it was like the <clears throat> record took a very unexpected turn, and we did like you know I retired and Alexander decided nothing like like the first couple songs, and I'm really glad that they didn't because we got to a point where it sort of opened the record up for a lot of different sounds. You get to like that song like Elf City and stuff, which I love, which is really a combination of the rock and roll and the big orchestration. And I'm, I'm just happy. I, I really, I'm really happy with the, the mix that we got in the end. And it, I do think it keeps it more in the now and it's not like some retro record. Yeah. It sounds like you were leaning towards the kind of Sinatra feel, which you, you have been compared to Sinatra quite uh, explicitly, I suppose, in, in, in the critical reception of this, but there, then there's this the the pop of of Alexandra. I think there's a kind of brooding rock in in I Retired. I think that's all. It's an it, it works really well together as a cohesive record. Well, good. Thanks. I was pretty, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. Well, what does this notion of black hours mean to you? I mean, even that to me colors the tone of the record. That's a fairly. I don't know. What, what can you explain that 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 uh, that title? I mean, I thought it was a. A nod to the two Frank records that inspired it, which were in the wee small hours in the September of my years. But I thought it had, I, I think that the record does have sort of a nightclub, nighttime tone to it. And like, I guess I thought sort of musically and lyrically it had that. But I didn't think it had that sort of wild, crazy, messy kind of late night feel that maybe some Walkman stuff has had in the past. Right, and for some reason, I, I thought Black Hours, even though it could be taken, if you hadn't heard the music, if you just hear the title, it could be maybe the heaviest, thing, darkest thing you've ever heard. But I thought that that matched with the music. Gave it. I, I just thought it was a. Pro, I thought it added a little bit to what, the collection of songs that I had in in a way that. I I, I just thought it. To me, it, it added up to a complete whole, and I don't know. It all it, it made sense. But, you know, I'm so closely connected to it, maybe to other people, it would be nonsense, I don't know. You, it wasn't your intention to appeal somehow to Danzig fans or something. Right, exactly. No, I mean, I could see how somebody would think that's black metal, of course, or it's, yeah, you know, mayhem or something, but <laughs> if you listen to the music, I think you very quickly get a different understanding of it. So, the, the... But, you know, any title is hard, you know? The other title I was toying with is Self Pity. I almost called the record Self Pity. Yeah, you're that, th- that and I thought that sound, that was really funny to me. I, I got a laugh out of the idea of my first solo record called Self Pity. <laughs> but a lot, of, but anybody I told it to, and they sort of convinced me I was wrong. Was people sort of thought it was too dark? Like that that was that was darker than Black Hours. Huh? And I sort of I think I think it was. I, I'm, I'm I'm glad I didn't go with it, but I was, I was close. Okay, that's interesting. You came close to self-pity. I, this kind of brings me into the next question in a sense. I just kind of want to get a, give the folks who are listening and myself a sense of sort of where you come from. Where, where did you actually grow up? I grew up in Washington, D.C. You grew up in D.C. Uh, around, uh, so were you like aware of, were you immersed in sort of the punk scene there or? Uh, well, yeah, like hardcore and discord music, definitely. When I was growing up, that was, I, I was very, I, I was a big follower. Okay, so you probably there was omnipresent. Something like 
I was a little bit too young to see like bad brains, but wherever you went, like bad brains would be spray painted on a wall or, or you knew, I knew the older kids were always listening to bad brains. Okay. Did and, you, did you go, did you go to other shows? Did you see other bands that, uh, I, would... saw, I, I mean, I saw everybody else. I just, I didn't miss that. I saw Fugazi, you know, Nation Ulysses, Minor Threat, um, you name it. I saw them all. Wow. And what kind of impact did that have on you? And that's in my teenage years was when, I mean, that, that's what I tried to sound like for my whole, until I was about 22. That's all. That's the, I, I was just another guy trying to play Discord kind of music in D.C. And there were a lot of those bands. <laughs> well, um, what, what were some of the bands yeah. you were in? Can you, were you in bands at that time? I was in, well, our first band was called Opus 88. That was me and my cousin and my friend Hugh. Actually, Hugh ended up playing uh, drums on Alexander and Self-Pity on this record. Oh. Um, and then uh, we moved on to being called the Recoys when we got to college, and then that I was with Pete at that point, and Pete and I joined up in the Walkman later on. Okay, and, and did you have any sort of direct inter... As a music maker in D.C. at the time, did you have any direct interaction with Discord? Uh, you know, I um, I worked at Inner Ear Studios one summer um, as sort of just an in- intern, like a, I guess studio assistant is what they call them. Um, and Fugazi was recording Red Medicine. Oh, wow. So I was there for that. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, but then a lot of, you know, Inner Ear is the, it's where everybody recorded, records still in D.C. It's, it's like the, the place to go. It's where all the original... Bad Brains and Minor Threat and Three Guys recorded. Um, yeah. And uh, I, uh, yeah, so all the like sort of smaller time bands came through at one time or another. But uh, yeah, the, Fugaz- the Red Medicine was a big thing that summer. So are you, are, are you at all featured somehow, even sort of incidentally in the, in the film instrument? Uh, no, I didn't make it in, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> Wish I had. Yeah, I remember seeing that. I know so many people that are in that, actually, or know who they are. Right. No, I, no, I didn't get the nod. There, I, I was a real scrub, you know. I was also I was also a lot younger than than all the other uh, than everybody in that scene. Right. There's the, there's this you know an instrument the primary recording sequence like the primary in the studio footage is really of that record of Red Medicine. Oh really? Well, that's too bad. I don't remember that. <laughs> oh. I yeah, I you should you should know Hamilton. We don't know each other. Like, but Fugazi's my favorite band. Like, just of all time. Oh really? Yeah, they're my favorite favorite band. That's so, that's awesome. I mean, I saw them, you know, thirty times in high school, maybe more. Wow. Yeah, so I only got to see them seven, eight times or something like that. But still. Well, it was either free or it was five dollars. So it was like, and it was always all ages. So it was like basically the only thing could see when you're like 15. Yeah, and I think that was purposeful, right? I mean, clearly this must have had an impact. Did, well, they had did, me. They got me by the <laughs> you know. Did it have an impact on how you viewed the music industry or how you interacted with uh, w- with people in terms of like your fans or anything like that? You know, I don't know. I mean, you're so exposed to... When I was a lot younger and I was at Fugazi shows and they had a, a lot of people with political agenda up there uh you know they'd have one before the show so you know they'd all get up on stage every year and then somebody come up and they'd, have, they'd read uh you know something about their cause or, or somebody else would get up and give a speech or something yeah and the the 
impact for me as a 15-year-old kid was like, shut up. I want to see Fugazi. Stop, <laughs> you know. I'm not, I wasn't listening to a word anybody said. Right. And I found it so boring. And I, I don't know if maybe... I've never had written anything political, and I've never been interested in doing that. And I, I don't know if it's because I was so bored back when I was younger, um, or or if it has my, or if that's just not my thing. But I, I, I would. I would. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. But find those things just like really repetitive and, and boring. Right. Okay. So you were primarily just moved by the music, the songs. I really was. I mean, you know, I, I suppose, but uh, I was 15 years old. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You were impa- You were an impatient 15 year old. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, in terms of what got you into music, actually, for the first time, like obviously you were immersed in in a very vibrant uh, punk and post punk scene. Do, who were your early heroes as a as a young musician? Um. Like, uh, the makeup and Ian Finonius was, uh, what they started when I was in high school. So I was at their second show and I was at every show for the next eight years. Oh, wow. Uh, that was a, that was a big one for me, um, for local. Uh, then, you know, the band that I was always uh, listening to, I listened to a lot of sort of loud kind of punk and stuff back then. The Cramps were a, my favorite band for 10 years and. And the Modern Lovers were one I really got into as well. Huh. That's interesting. You mentioned Ian Sphenonius, Lux Interior, and Jonathan Richmond, all really prominent frontmen in bands. Mm-hmm. Is that telling of your own sort of affinity? Were you more into charismatic sort of solo artists as more than the kind of idea of being in a band? Well, I mean, I think of those guys as in bands. Actually. I mean, I know, obviously, Jonathan Richmond has a big solo career, but... Which I like a lot, but but I I, I mean I, I think of him mostly as a modern lover singer, I guess. Okay. Um, and Lux Interior back when I was younger, I didn't know that he and Poison Ivy were the band. I thought they were a band too, so I just thought of Cramp as a band, and I love him as just singer of the band. Right. Um. No, I think of them as band. Ian is definitely the charismatic leader of the makeup and he runs the show but I thought of them as a band too they all dressed in you know wore matching suits and stuff like that and looked really formal which I thought was really awesome right right yeah no the makeup were cool did you have you heard the new chain in the gang record no I actually just found out that it came out it's amazing it doing so little publicity just for I mean I sort of 
I would be very interested in that, and I didn't even know it came out. So, yeah, I need to go buy a copy right now. I heard it was good. My friend heard it, so it's hilarious. It's amazing. It's really good. It's called uh, Minimum Rock and Roll, I believe. Right, I love that name. <laughs> I have um, I have music not for everyone. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, no, they're, they're, that band is great, and Ian... You, Ian is a. Uh, I I speak highly of him because he's alumni on the show. He's been on the show uh, not too long ago, and I. Oh uh, uh, really? Yeah, he's a great. He's actually a friend, and uh, I, I I really I like him a lot. All right, cool. So so some people do romanticize bands more than solo artists. Uh, do you think the mystique about band life and that bond is justified? Having you know, you're moving into a realm where you're. I know you say in your solo endeavor, you basically had to start a new unofficial band you know, unnamed, but do you, having moved out of the Walkman into this kind of realm on your own, do you feel like that band life is, 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 is all that it's cracked up to be? Well, it's, I mean, it's, the grass is always greener, right? So when you're in the group, you can really start to, Think of it as a drag. You have to get everybody together when everybody lives like a plane ride away from each other. Yeah, that can be a, a headache. But uh, in the end, it's great to have your friends there and and uh, be able to rely on everybody for certain stuff. Um, it's it's got its ups and downs. It's obviously an it's, e- it's obviously a bit of an ego stroke to see your own name on the front of a, a you know a vinyl record or something it's like that. Weird, I, it's strange. I mean, I didn't get into it for that. I, I really didn't. I, I didn't. It, it almost feels like at first, it almost feels like a little bit wrong to see that because I, I think well, you know, I've always just been with a band name, and I it's a little strange to see here my own name in like a review or, or my own name on the cover of the record or on the t-shirt or something is it, it feels a little unnatural to me right now and maybe i'll just get used to that but that is that, that's a stranger adjustment than i thought it would be huh okay that's interesting but you're you're dealing with it on <laughs> my own way I'm <laughs> uh you we as we've discussed you did collaborate with a lot of people to make this solo album it's very lush uh in some cases it's sparse uh in others sometimes i think simultaneously it, it, there's a lot bubbling but it's mixed and arranged in a way where you know i think your voice is still rising way above everything what was it kind of a struggle to find that balance between showcasing your voice and and in the song like the lyrics and then also trying to, you know, have this big sound behind you? Well, I knew that it was my the singer's solo record, so the voice has to come first. I mean, that's just why I wanted to do it this way, and that's, that was the number one priority. I mean, that's what the whole record was based around, was the voice. Yeah. So, uh, and then the second thing I knew is that it was, I didn't want it to sound at all like the Walkman. I mean, every time we would approach the Walkman character, you'd think, okay, we... Need to be a little careful here, right? And I, they're definitely, you know, you could hear the record and be like, "Oh yeah, that's the guy from the Walkman singing, you know, another song," and that's there's the guitar player from the Walkman playing something that sounds similar. But those are only moments, and I really think in the end we did overcome that problem. And I don't, and nobody seems to think it sounds like the Walkman. So I, I you know, I didn't know if other people were going to think differently than me, but I, I think we got over that pretty quick. 
Yeah, um, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you had this intention towards the work of uh, people like Sinatra and their and his collaborators. Uh, the reception to Black Hours has, you know, mentioned that. I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, people have picked up on that. So, I suppose well done. But what do you actually make of the reception to this record? Are there readings of it that have surprised you? Um. Uh, I I think it's I, I I don't know I mean people no I don't know what I expected honestly hmm. I, I I'm glad people don't think it's just a repeat of the Walkman I guess for me has been my first worry is that people that I, you know it's hard to see from the outside how things come across um. It is a little bit. It's it's hard to control like your storyline, and I think that the the timing of the release of this record has been a little funny because because unfortunately the news of the Walkman going our separate ways got out in like the fall and and uh, it became kind of a big story at least by our standards and uh, sort of at the begin had sort of like become such a big part of the reception of this record, which it's like, you know, when you read a review or you read an article, like, you know, a quarter of it or a third of it will be the discussion of the breakup of the Walkman. And I, I, I wish it didn't have to be that way. Right. But, um, but that's it, just, again, the timing of the, the whole thing. It just, it just seems to yeah, have worked out this way. It did. It's, I, I don't love that, but what are you going to do? Yeah. I don't mean to, I suppose, dredge this up. Uh, it's sort of been well established that this is what's happened. Can you, from your perspective, speak about what precipitated this this hiatus for the band? Um, extreme hiatus, you mean? I noticed that uh, that is a thing that I've read in every... Crazy. I don't think I've ever... It's, it went viral. I think it's the most effective language that we've ever used. It's funny that you mentioned... Uh, it was just something that Pete just dashed off. I'm sure he wasn't even... He was just sort of talking and quickly, and he didn't think twice about it. It's just so funny that it really got it, that term has really gotten some traction. You know, it's funny we were talking about Fugazi earlier, and it is my contention. And when I spoke to Ian Mackay last, uh, the last time he and I spoke, he kind of acknowledged it. Weirdly, it's possible that Fugazi kind of invented this idea of going on an indefinite hiatus. Everyone uses this mm -hmm. term now instead of saying we've broken up. No one seems comfortable with the finality of that. From your intention, mm -hmm. and, and so when you guys announced your hiatus, that extreme qualifier is the closest <laughs> thing I've heard in the last 10, 15 years to someone actually being like, yeah, we've probably, like that to me is like we've broken up. But are, right. you, are you saying it was a tossed off phrase he probably regrets the finality I mean, of... Yeah, he probably does. I'm sure he does. And, you know, it wasn't... We never... The other thing is that we never made an announcement. We just... It was just... in an, Somebody asked Pete what what his plans were for the next couple months. And he, you know, said that, and he was... I'm, you know, he was... I'm sure he wasn't thinking about that much, but he just meant that we were taking a break. And, uh... But I didn't... Nobody wanted it to be public. And afterwards, I think he regretted saying it because he just didn't. He, he the, we didn't, we had not really discussed plans, but I think that one, we didn't, want, we also didn't want to make some big announcement about us breaking up. So, 
you know, it's unfortunately that somebody latched onto that and that became a big story. And now it's been, now the story is that we made this announcement that we were going on extreme hiatus. Yeah. It's like, that was news to me after the, I mean, it was, it's it's somebody else's story. It's completely somebody else's story. And when it gets pinned to me that I, that I am responsible for this announcement and also kind of funny announcement. And then we, you know, I, I had nothing to do with that. That's somebody else's story and people can, I guess people just read that now and that's the way the story goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not mine. I didn't say it. So, by your reckoning, I mean, for some people, it was just puzzling. As I mentioned earlier, the band has only made uh, records that everyone loves. <laughs> uh, so externally, it wasn't like, it, there's no sort of suggestion that, oh, you know, they took a break because they were petering out creatively. Uh, from your perspective, was it just exhaustion? Was it just time to do something else? It was time to try something else. It just It's not exhaustion because I'm really excited about what I'm doing right now, and I know Walt's really excited about his record, and I know Pete is too. Yeah. Um, but it was just maybe the idea that it was just too, it was just going to be more trouble than it was worth getting everybody back together for this. Right. And who knows, maybe we will, maybe we really will work together someday. We'll probably receive like a lot of flack for working together if we do, but <laughs> what, you know, what are you going to do? Well, that's the key aspect of the, that's the cynicism about the indefinite hiatus because the indefinite hiatus is subsequently followed by the reunion tour, which is the, right, exactly. the lucrative reunion tour. Well, we already had technically our reunion, reunion tour because when the, um, when the news came out that, that when, when the article came out, we already had another show booked, but hadn't you're, you're not, we weren't supposed to announce it for a certain amount of time. Hmm. So then the news breaks, and then we announce the show, and then everyone says we're announcing our reunion show. <laughs> it, was, it was a dumb thing. You know? <laughs> at least it was so dumb that it was funny. Yeah, that does, at, least it's a, at least you're amused by it. So, I mean, you're taking a break. It, it sounds like the, you say, like, you know, the band will, the band will likely play again. Well, there's, there's no animosity. It was just time for a, a change, right? I could imagine us. Yeah, I mean, since nobody hates each other, I could, I could see us playing again. Yeah. Okay. Cool. What about you? What's next for you uh, now that uh, you've gotten your your feet wet? You're you're doing this kind of stuff. You're promoting your own record. Uh, you made uh, a great record. W- what do you intend to do over the next uh, little while? Well, I'm going to play on this for a while. I really haven't played very much. It's really fun right now. Uh, so I'll play on this until it's until I get tired of, of organizing a new lineup for every single tour, which gets exhausting. Right. Uh, and then I, I already have a bunch of songs written. I have about four or five songs. Okay. And I, I was on a real roll until the record really got announced in like March or April. And I have not written anything since then. So I'd really like to get back to that because I felt like in the winter I was really cruising. After I finished mixing Black Hours, I was really getting into writing more music. Do you suppose that you are generally a prolific writer? And I spend a lot of time doing it, and I do it sort of like obsessively. And I, 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 I sometimes I just can't stop. And I, I mean, it's good to have a good work ethic, but sometimes it'll sort of drive you crazy, and it'll, you, you know, it'll keep you up at night, and it'll um, make you. Uh, it is just sort of like make it a little bit neurotic right <laughs> um but it's you know it's i i do overall i enjoy doing it yeah
Okay. Do you have any other collaborations or anything planned? I, I know you you sort of startled yourself even with some of the people that uh, brought something to the table for your record. Are, are you? Is there reciprocity there? Are you planning to work with others? I mean, I could see myself working with those two guys again, um, Paul and Rostam, and I, I like the idea of working with people. I do. It's, it's fun to put yourself in a little bit into a non-comfort area and see what you can come up with. The thing is, it's really... I don't know how you start. I was really lucky to have Rossum just call me out of the blue. Maybe I'll just wait for another phone call. Oh, sorry, you're getting another call? No, no, no. I said maybe I'll just wait oh, for someone oh. else to call me. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a good strategy. Didn't you just end up on stage uh, performing with the National somewhere recently? Yeah, I did. They're old friends, and they just I was playing at the same festival, and they just invited me out to sing a song with them. Yeah, I was talking to Aaron about it. Maybe some, maybe I work with Aaron. That, that could be fun. Yeah, okay. What was the song you did again? Uh, Mr. November, oh. an old one of theirs. Oh, okay, okay. I thought maybe it was a cover for some reason, but I, I may have just skimmed that. Uh, that Sounds thing. a little bit like the Walkman. They're the first people to say that. Okay. <laughs> so in a sense, it might have been their own cover of a Walkman song. They're kind of they're funny about it, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I uh, want to say that once again, the new album by Hamilton Lighthouser is called Black Hours. It's available now via Ribbon Music, and you can catch them on tour in the U.S. and Europe this summer. No, uh, I noticed no Canadian dates yet, Hamilton. They're they're coming. They'll be there soon. It's been organizing has been a little funny. Okay, would you? But I will be up there very soon. Would you consider playing Hamilton, Ontario? I'd lo- yeah, I'm just waiting for the invite, man. <laughs> I'm waiting for the invite from the city council. I'm calling you from Guelph, which is just down the road from Hamilton, but I would think a Hamilton oh, yeah. and Hamilton event would go over quite well. It would be just a can't-miss show. <laughs> for more information, visit uh, hamiltonlighthouser.com. Uh, Hamilton, do you mind picking a song from the uh, record for us to play? How about um, the silent orchestra? That's I, th- I think that in the end that was my favorite song. That, this song has a bit of a, and I, I, I hope this is not disparaging, but I feel like this song has this weird, it's like it's like a classically uh, orchestrated song, but it also has like a ska feel. Oh, so, well, it's got that offbeat, strong rhythm, totally, yeah. And that's like yeah, a, it was a terrible bounce. Actually, mixing it, if you the first mix we were doing, the guitar was getting a little loud, and it really did sound just like you know, like the toasters or something. <laughs> okay, so there's just like a whack of different influences uh, coming through on this record. It just seems like you've, uh, and I don't know, is it, it seems like you're just raiding your sort of mental record collection in a way. Well, I mean, we're always sort of doing that. The trick is to not get too, like, spread yourself too thin, you know? Right, right. All right, well, here it is. This is the Silent Orchestra. Hamilton, it was a great pleasure speaking with you, and uh, best hey, of luck. Hey, thanks very much. Nice to talk to you, too. Yeah, best of luck with everything. Okay, take it easy.
my footprints out in the sand And all the kissing brought us to bed When I was sleeping, you shook me hard I have no memory under those stars We made a promise to remain strong I have been honest, honest enough When I was sleeping, you shook me hard Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at cfru.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.